It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the What's Real Podcast. This is episode 195. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co Tag Team Championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jerry Bajoris. What's going on, the J? Whoa, I'm just straight up this week. Hey, Ed, your boy is vascular. I'm pumped. I'm striated. The gym is one and done this week. We're ready to go. And your boy is as pumped up as Ryan O'Neal himself. You know the badass that was Ryan O'Neal. We love us some Ryan O'Neal. You explain. You will explain further. Hey, yeah. The correlation of that random ass pump up reference, but the boy, the J is ready, rearing. Let's do it. One ninety five. What's real, baby? Yeah, and as the J mentioned, Ryan O'Neill. It's because he's just super gay for Ryan O'Neill. No uh, correlation yeah. with the show. I'll, I'll admit that. Week. I'll take that to the grave. Hey, Eel. I, I'm kidding, actually, because of course it is the month of February. And we have another week of the wonderful world of Walter Hill. And of course, because as the Jay mentioned, Ryan O'Neill, we're going to go back to 1978 and take a look at The Driver. Uh, And of course, as we do here on the What's Real podcast, the NFL season rolls along and it comes to a grinding halt this week because we are going to be covering this year's Super Bowl between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's not all. Uh, We have another double feature of movie goodness because of Joe Bob's violent Valentine 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 special. His Violente Valentino special, uh, including two movies, 10 years apart, oddly enough. Uh, First up, we go back to 1996. This one is one that I'm honestly kind of shocked we have not covered here yet on the show. And of course, we're talking about Freeway starring Reese Witherspoon. And the other is from 1986, and it is Vamp. So we have a loaded show for you guys. And, of course, we're going to be talking about some goofs and much, much more. So let's just get into it. The J. Uh, We got some programming notes, I guess, is probably the best thing to start out with. Uh, Next week on the program, we have one more week of the wonderful world of Walter Hill. Um, So we are going to be taking a look at another movie and kind of summing up his career next week on the show. Uh, The NFL will be finished, so expect a brand new double feature of Fridays at Midnight. Uh, We'll probably do that to carry out the rest of the month until March gets started. Um, I would say that when March starts, we are going to be covering, once again, Dark Side of the Ring, which is getting ready to start up again on the Vice Channel, Um, something that we've done since the inception of the show, so we'll be taking a look at that as well. Uh, and we're kind of just going to be riding it out. I mean, in mo- in March, I believe we're going to bring back uh, Thursday Night Prime as well. So we'll have some movie-related stuff for you guys in March. Of course, some wrestling-related stuff. Uh, basically, the sh- same show that we do now, just minus football, uh, other than just random news and notes from around the league. But, yeah, our uh, fo- football coverage, the J, comes to a conclusion this week here on episode 195. I was going to mention it's the what's real football hangover cure films and pro wrestling. That, that's what we do here. It's typically what we kind of weed into with uh, the umbrella of 
topics that we we love and discuss on the show so it's that time of year hey yeah and, and as I, I always state that the football journey from week to week specifically the nfl of course on the what's real podcast starting off with hard knocks and the preseason and going all the way to the super bowl and here on the episode where we're uh, reviewing the the Super Bowl and it's the last official NFL segment it is crazy. It's a lot of ground to cover, but that is the end of the chapter of the 23-24 NFL season as we'll get into the big game. But uh, but it is wild. But I'm looking forward to getting into some other topics and uh, you know chopping chopping up as we do. Hey Ed, in our world on some other stuff uh, th- for the next few weeks. But the like you said, the wonderful world of Walter has been a blast. I've been loving that and and everything else we do. So I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I love our great escape and we have some great programming coming up. Hey Ed, like I said, I, I couldn't be more pumped up. Yeah, no doubt, man. I mean it. Uh... It, the show kind of changes like every six months, like pretty drastically. So uh, it's always fun now. It kind of opens up more things and lets us do more stuff. And, you know, just thinking about it out loud, man, it feels like we haven't done Thursday Night Prime in so long. And it probably hasn't been since, you know, like the beginning of the football season last year. I think maybe like August we were doing it. And I don't remember if we brought it back. If we did, it was just periodic. It wasn't for any extended period of time or a month or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, that one feels like it's a long time coming at this point. Which is a good thing for myself personally, hey, Ed, because Thursday Night Prime takes its toll on my body. You know, we have a lot oh, yeah. of things going on when we're covering Thursday Night Prime with uh, attacks and missions, and we have our general, Nocturis. And, and he's been on a lot of private missions and things too. So that kind of worked out because, you know, we need him in house to be able to pull off the what's real primes, uh, the Thursday night prime segment on what's real as we do. So uh, everything happens for a reason. Hey, Ed, but it, uh, I think the, uh, the breather did what it needed to do. I'm healed up and I'm starting my training actually for, for when Thursday night prime drops again, because it is on the horizon. So it, it was a necessary breather, but I'm looking forward to chopping up, some crazy ass zany ass action movies again yeah and it kind of shows like how weird we are because there's a segment that we do on the show i don't know like say in the course of an entire season maybe like 40 percent of the season we're doing this segment and oddly enough it eats up 85 percent of the show's budget because we've had to buy like fucking helicopters and tanks like like dude whale food do you guys know how much yeah, fucking whale food co- like it's insanity here i mean it's, uh, but we enjoy it. It is fun. So I'm definitely looking forward to that coming back. Uh, of course, uh, Fridays at Midnight's been pretty good for us as well. Uh, the movies that made us will be making their way back to the podcast here uh, in the coming months as well, too. So, like, we, you know, it gives us a lot more time to flesh those out and kind of knock out some more titles that we've been trying to do because, you know, once the NFL hits and then you have, you know, a million other things going on at the same time, too. It becomes very difficult to fit a lot of stuff on the show. It just does. So because, you know, we don't have the time and the ability to do eight hour shows every week. Plus, I don't know how many people would be up for listening to those every week. So there's that. But, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, you know, it's a weird thing about how to program the show throughout the year because it fluctuates so much. But it's... uh Sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's really difficult, but it's, you know, it's always nice to look back because we always manage to figure something out. So it it works pretty well. It wouldn't surprise me too 
if we come up with more, uh, you know, features and different little segments and stuff that we want to do on the show too, as time goes on, because we seemingly find an open need for things that we don't particularly talk about a lot on here and find a way to crowbar them into the show somehow. But this is usually the time of year where we get to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it coincides too with my free time because this is the time of year, especially with this past weekend being the the Super Bowl and the NFL being officially done. It, it opens up that that movie watching, and I've been doing a lot of movie watching this winter anyway. So amping that up, and then having the forum to be able to bullshit with you, Hayen, another huge film geek about. What we're watching, uh, I, I look forward to those opportunities, you know, because it, it gives even more reason to spend the time on paying attention and, and watching a bunch of films this time of year to, to chop it up with your boy and, and break them down, too, and talk about them here on the podcast. So it, it's definitely that time of year to get some watches in and, and talk about it and uh, highlight some of this stuff that we're, we're checking out. And we also said, too, it's like as the podcast keeps going, as crazy as it is, we're in season five, which is our official fifth year of doing the podcast and and we always said we never wanted to kind of plateau and it's up to us to to not plateau and to kind of say okay we're still having fun but let's mix it up a bit let's have a little bit more fun so we we also have some ideas i know we've thrown at each other to to maybe implement as well uh you know maybe even with the summer months coming i mean still to this point just because of of time and tech and everything we still have not had an official guest appearance on the what's real podcast so that's that's something for the future but you know there there's that that's what's cool about the way we set up the show and the way that both of us think and and you always have used that term organically evolve you know the show will just again organically evolve into whatever it's going to be and that's kind of been the process and in the future we're not just going to sit on our laurels and kind of keep spinning our wheels and doing the same stuff you know we're going to amp things up and then we we talked about it maybe even at the full end of this season of what's real in the end of the year we might be looking into doing something still creatively but in a completely different way than just recording the podcast because full transparency and fully admit Admittingly, because of, you know, we date ourselves on the show a million times overhead, but, but because of our age and where we're at in our lives and time and money and everything else that, that's involved in it, we are definitely in the dark ages of podcasting with only having a voice, you know, audio show. Like, you know, that's that's another big step possibly in the future is, is getting on video, you know, maybe doing like a, a show that goes on YouTube and stuff. So there, there's a lot of options that we have in, in this creative bubble that we created. But, you know, the end of the NFL kind of marks, that's, that's why we're kind of spewing about this. It kind of marks the time here on the show to kind of open things up creatively a little bit and, and maybe do a few things different. And again, just go back to that foundation of, of watching some movies and getting into some pro wrestling with the road to WrestleMania and everything else that goes on there. So fun times here on the What's Real podcast. If you're hearing us right now, stick in because it's going to be a fun ride. Absolutely. And uh, that you know, all this movie talk has reminded me. So I've been reorganizing and cleaning and doing a lot of stuff in my house lately. And one of those things has been uh, me going through a lot of the packed away movies that I have and kind of reorganizing and fixing all that stuff. And dude, it is fucking obscene. It's a job. <laughs> like it's, it's a dude. You should be paid hourly. It's obscene, man. Like I have so much shit here 
Yeah, you'll have to, the, if you remember, shoot me some pics as you're doing it. I, I think yeah. I, we brought it up on the show before. I did it a few years ago before my remodel and everything. In, in my den, I had what I called one of my two pop culture centers in my house where I display my movies and a, a ton of other memorabilia, you know, and like little build-ins and cubbies and stuff. And I was clearing mine out and I was like sending you all these pictures. Like, I didn't know I had this. I can't yeah. even remember when I bought this. So Dude, I can only imagine. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, I fucking totally forgot about this type thing. Um, but then there's the more annoying part. I think I told you about this recently when I was dealing with it. But you're going through stuff and you're finding things that you're like, I already have a better edition of this. The one that popped into my mind specifically was True Romance. I found the old Snapcase DVD of that. Yeah, I have that. And and I'm like, I have the Arrow Blu-ray of this that like I know there's nothing on this that I even need anymore. And it's essentially worthless to resell. Um, I don't know anybody specifically that doesn't have true romance already, like fellow movie collectors or somebody that I would pass it along to. And then it's, dude, and it sucks now because the way that everything is with physical media, it's only dudes like us that are into it. So like, there's a lot of other people that I would pass something like, like typically I'd like, here, you could just have this, watch this movie if you've never seen it. But now people are so into streaming and shit. There, I know people that don't even have Blu-ray or DVD players anymore. Right. So that's what it is. Exactly. It's like, so do I just chuck the shit into the garbage? Which I prefer. I'd rather give it to somebody than do that. But yeah, it's it's just a weird time period with movies and you know physical media and, and streaming and everything else that we talk about so much on here. But that's one of the more recent issues that I've come across digging through my collection and stuff. But and it's and I've gone through I've been going through too to look at movie posters and stuff that I have because I'm you know there's some stuff that I don't have any photographs of so I'm trying to do that it's just a lot of shit like it's amazing that you don't realize what you're doing while you're doing it you realize it further down the road to be like I have posters and stuff I don't even remember buying like not even any like I don't remember where I got it from when I bought it how I bought it why I bought it what I paid for it or what it's just yeah. there. Last time we brought this up to that, we kind of said like just stumbling on it, talking out loud. When you look at the origins of our collecting and specifically, you just look at the the mutual film collecting that we've done. And I mentioned like I was still at the point in college in my early 20s when I kind of got the idea that I was going to buckle down and, and definitely start collecting movies that VHS was still the thing. <laughs> at that yeah. point and yeah. my, my friend Murph my college roommate from Boston shout out to Murph hey Ed knows Murph and he he had a collection of VHS that he brought to college and stuff you know yep. and so it was like right at that point and it was on the verge of the next generation of physical media with film being DVDs so I was like you know what this is perfect timing I was just going to start collecting VHS but this new format's out, so I'll start there. And then, of course, you know, we talked about the times of fr- every Friday, the paycheck would go to the three for 25 used DVD hard copies at Hollywood Video, and, and that ch- pumped up the collection a lot and things and like dude, that. That's, and that's not counting things like trips to Best Buy, the deep di- exactly DVD all the stuff. sale. Like and conventions, kind of you know, conventions yep, yep. popped up within our collecting too because they weren't very popular like like we mentioned it basically started back in the day speaking of origins as far as these conventions and cons with with star trek and comic books 
you know, yeah. obviously, I mean, it's a comic con, but nonetheless, it, you know, that evolution too of the, the horror genre getting involved in that and these horror cons and then you know shout out to one of our mutual favorites you know hey ed especially has been there uh tons and tons more times than i have but in strongsville ohio of course the the bi-yearly convention cinema wasteland and, and all that kind of stuff and and i have some really cool pickups from from those days too you know, because yeah. those those are the places where you're like, this thing's not going to be available anywhere. Like, I might not even be able to find this online. So I'm going to buy this on site in person, even if it's like 50 bucks for yep. for this DVD disc and stuff. But, you know, that goes into it. Cool. Again, just talking out loud, kind of just freestyling here. The the fun aspect of collecting, you know, and, and that's what's kind of becoming less of of the pursuit, too, which I think causes us to to collect less. Like, not only do we have all this stuff and have been collecting for for 20 years which was my initial point which is how long we've been doing this 20 years plus i should add but the fact that once you kind of get your hands on everything the fun part of the adventure of collecting and finding gems and things like that is kind of gone cuz it's not the same to shop online and on amazon and things like that yeah or even ordering directly from companies and stuff right it's, the the hobby's gotten fairly expensive um it's yeah that's the also, thing too nothing's gone down in price either like no new, it's gone new blu-rays I, like i rarely buy things like i was just saying the few things i do are like blockbusters that i miss in the theater i'm like i would have taken my wife and kids to the theater to see this and spent like 50 bucks anyway so i'll just blind buy you know oppenheimer or barbie or whatever and yep. I, I was looking to get the kids the new trolls movie and it was like 35 dollars at walmart that's- or something that's jesus that's crazy yeah like it was because it they were sold out so it was like the special edition like came with something you know okay i ended up not getting it but that's my point is like you would think well at least us dorks they're still collecting this shit it's basically worthless so we're getting blu-rays for five seven bucks no Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) uh-uh yeah it's not happening and dude you're not getting the opportunities like you used to like there was like when dvds first came out there were a lot of people that were like well that's a little bit more than I'm willing to spend, but I'm going to collect VHS because they're cheap and easy to get now. And then for years, DVD was the main thing. And then they started getting really cheap. Then Blu-ray came out. Then Blu-ray quickly got super cheap. And then at the same time, there were DVDs that were still highly priced. Um, and where we're at now, it's there's nowhere to buy cheap DVDs. Like most stores have quit selling them. The whole glut of like used CD and DVD places isn't prevalent like it used to be. So like if you decided like that 4K and Blu-ray and stuff was too expensive for you, that you're just going to go back and get DVDs, you don't have that ability anymore unless you're just buying used stuff by the boatload off eBay or whatever. But yeah, and that raises the price too. You're not getting stuff for a dollar at a fucking flea market or it's some weird you know, used CD, DVD place anymore. So, you know, that's that's doing its part right there in killing physical media because there's people aren't, you know, they don't get the opportunity to go back and even collect the older formats like they used to because the stuff's not getting reprocessed as like junk anymore. Yeah. And again, it's it's just the evolution with technology of where things go because in general, I mean, not, not even malls can stay afloat really these days you know there's only you know we're in a major city in pittsburgh and like each 
area just has their kind of one big mall and everything else kind of has gone to the wayside or has gone out of business. Like brick and mortar shopping is so different than when we were kids. I mean, even, even 10 years ago, it's a lot different now. A lot. And it's yep. going to be interesting to see how that continues to evolve. And again, we're kind of these weird, you know, between generation kind of age, like that still wants to have hard copies in hand. And like I said, have that adventure of going to a store and seeing what they have and, and looking through things and spending a half hour in some DVD line, you know, aisles. And it's just not like that anymore. Yeah. It, it's very different. Al. it's kind of sad. Um, you know, hopefully this stuff can continue out to, to stick around in some capacity, but I think there I mean, will I, always at least be like the specialty sh- stores because of goofs like us keeping those I afloat, think so. but they're not going to be prominent. Yeah. I mean, I like to think so. I mean, you don't know really the way that like trends and shit are going to shake out in the future to know if, you know, like kind of like how the resurgence of, of records that's what I was like, I, a good I, comparison maybe, for everything's vinyl because vinyl has yeah. it, it didn't have some sort of huge renaissance, but there is a market for it. And it's like, who cares if it's not like, you know, it, all this this is going to you know, it's not changing the world like millions of people aren't involved in it. It's it's OK if something exists and yeah. it's interesting to just a handful of a thousand people, you know, a few thousand yeah. people or something. Like as long as there's enough people to support it, it's usually right. fine. That's what it but, is. Yeah. But see, the the problem becomes, and it's I already see it happening in the movie aspect of things, and it's already happened in vinyl. Is there isn't the massive customer base for it? So basically, the gist is is it's just expensive. Um. So I mean, but you know, I as long as the shit isn't gimmicky crap, because I see that a lot with vinyl where it's just like gimmicky nonsense. Yeah. With with movies, I feel like it's less gimmicky and you're getting more, like, you know, more special features. and Like, you know, the one thing that did happen with movies, though, that kind of falls in that same category as vinyl is, like, people paying extra or just paying for slipcases and shit because it's, it's just an unnecessary part of packaging. And it's just a collector mentality type thing. That's something that's not going to catch on with regular people, no matter what. No. Um, I remember finding out that, that about the slipcase thing and thinking it was ridiculous. And I can tell you, like people that aren't like us, don't think about it at all. A lot of those people probably literally will buy a movie and throw the slipcase away at this point. So, uh, but it's weird how all that shit shakes out. Yeah, and, and again, you see all these trends from being fans of this as children to the point now of being in our forties is like, we were there for all of it for the most part, you know, like yeah. I, I mentioned, I remember I wanted an Atari the first time I fell in love with video games when I was like, you know, probably eight or nine. And I had a, an older cousin that was always like, you know, get me into things like he got me into skating and, and horror movies and all that kind of stuff. And I remember him telling me like, no, there's this thing Nintendo coming out. Like he, he was a little older. So he somehow knew even in fucking 87 that the Nintendo was coming out. And one of the things that was kind of fortunate for me, cause a lot of people assume that I get screwed as a Christmas baby because my birthday is on December 21st. And they're like, Oh, you must've got screwed. And, and sometimes you do like whatever. I was very fortunate. I had a, a, a very, a family that was very aware of, 
wanting to make sure I didn't get screwed on my birthday just because it was so close to Christmas, which was very yeah. nice of them. So yep. I basically with that, I kind of got like one pretty major gift and I was able even as an eight or nine year old in 87 to ask for a Nintendo, you know? So like my whole point to the rant is I've been playing Nintendo since it first came out. We, we started watching VHS when VHS first was introduced to the typical suburban home, you know, and now here we are in 2024 where there's virtual reality, all these streaming services, like the landscape is just flipped and turned inside out, but we've been there for every step of it. And it, and it is a kind of unique perspective for guys like us that have been Uber nerds since we were kids into adulthood with the collecting and seeing where all this goes too, with, with all, all this we're talking about. Yeah, and it's like, you know, the way that things kind of shake out, it basically decides whether or not you continue to collect or not. Because we've known people that were just as hardcore, if not more so than us, uh, years ago. And they've completely quit. Um, then you have other people that didn't really collect as much, and now they collect. So there, there's different things and different reasons for people to collect and do their thing. But, like, you know, it is kind of a slippery surface because you don't want to... You know, we've already bought movies three or four different times, the same movie on different formats and shit like that. So you do get to a point with a lot of that stuff, too, where you're like, I'm just not buying this anymore. Like, there's nothing new. There's nothing exciting about it. It's just another rehash of the same shit for a lot of money. And, you know, it kind of gets to the point where it might not be worth it for you anymore. So uh, obviously, I hope that's not the case with us because I like to collect movies and it's just something that I'm into. And I know you're the same way as me, but I mean, at the same time, you know, money's money and you need it for certain things. And if that, you know, you don't have the extra round, you're not going to be buying much of anything. Because I think we both went through that too, where we have huge collections and we went through long time periods of not purchasing much of anything at all, just because, you know, you kind of fall out of it. And then it's like, well, I'll pick up stuff here and there, but I don't need to get everything. And that starts to become the problem too. And then if you realize there's more and more things that you don't really need to have, then it quickly your collecting hobby to begin with because you're like, well, I don't really buy much. Yeah, and and then the opposite happens. Cause, and I bring that up because it happened to me recently, where f you know, for me, I was just on a huge stress of a stretch of not purchasing anything, but then like you get that can of worms opened again. You know, like I yeah, think it was, really like, it was like Oppenheimer. Yeah. Like I bought that and then I'm like, oh, they have this and they have this. And then the, the arrow sale comes, you know, and then it's like Criterion sale. And, you know, you kind of get that that good feeling, that dopamine uh, as a collector to, to get some shit added to the collection and, and just that little fix of buying some stuff, you know. So it, it kind of comes and goes for sure. But, yeah, I'm kind of back on my strict kick because I got a lot, you know, a lot of different things going on here and then the, the upcoming months. But, you know, uh, for example, man, there's still those ones that no matter what, I'll still plop down 20, 25 bucks. Um, you know, Iron Claw comes out, I think, next week on Blu-ray, and I'll definitely snatch that up. It's things like that's that. Cr that's crazy to think about that that's coming out already. You didn't see that yet, huh? No, I didn't. It. Yeah. No, that's wild, dude. Like, but it is the way that that stuff works. It is indeed the nature of the beast, but... Uh, we'll keep talking about it as we roll on here, but we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, we are going to take a look at Super Bowl 58 between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 196 of the What's Real Podcast. 
It's the return of our occult film segment. What will the boys pick in the mysterious world of the double feature of Fridays at Midnight? And it is the last week of February, which means it is the last week of the wonderful world of Walter Hill. We're going to take a look at his 1975 debut, Hard Times, as well as summing up his entire career. And speaking of throwing up, this guy sewed up his butthole, he glued it, and then took laxatives. Is that what you're saying here today? Um, this is Timothy James. I'm representing Goose or Goose for 195, or I'm sorry, 196. Get out of here, today. Get out of here. I told you, every time you mess up, I'm pushing you out. Yeah, get him out. He represents Goose or Goose. I guess that's what he, anyway. Uh, join us next week for all that and much more uh, on episode 196 of the What's Real Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Herman James with the Bushman Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the Woods Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and it is time to get into some Super Bowl talk here on our last week of NFL coverage uh, for this part of the season. Uh, and, of course, we're talking Super Bowl 58 between the 49ers and Chiefs. Uh, pretty good game would come down to the wires. The Chiefs would win 25-22. to 22. I'm sure most of you already know. Uh, kind of a weird game, to say the least. Uh Patrick Mahomes is going to win the MVP. He was uh, 34 for 46 with two touchdowns and interception and 333 yards. On the other side, Brock Purdy was 23 for 38 with a touchdown and 255 yards. Um, uh, other than that, not any real mind-blowing stats for the game. Uh, the Chiefs had 455 total yards of offense. The Niners had 382. Uh, 325 passing yards to the Niners, 272. Uh, 130 rushing yards to 110 by the Niners. Uh, 79 total plays by the Chiefs and 71 by the Niners. Um, you know, uh, Mahomes sacked three times. Purdy was only sacked once. Uh, penalties, about even. Time of possession, pretty even as well. Uh, little mistakes in the game. A missed field goal. Probably didn't help the Niners out there. But, you know, overall... Like, the game was okay. It wasn't anything major. Uh, but the one major story that we have from it for sure is that the Kansas City Chiefs are officially a dynasty. They're on their third Super Bowl in four years. Uh, the only one they didn't win was to Tom Brady and the, the Buccaneers. But, uh, but yeah, man, not a mind-blowing game, not a game that was that great. It was a solid game, but most of it to me was boring. Um, I really don't like the the layoff that these teams have before playing the Super Bowl, I don't think it really does the game any justice. I mean, it might do money for the NFL, but besides that, the game is less appealing to me 
than the previous playoff games and even some of the regular season games we've seen before it. That's for sure. You know, we watched it with a few friends at the house, and it was a very slow <laughs> moving game from from quarter to quarter. As everybody looks at with the Super Bowl, most of the ads uh, were pretty boring. You know, there was there were some that stood out. We can maybe break down some of our favorites uh, later on. I know we talk about that sometimes with our Super Bowl review and everything, but you know, just with the uh, initial take on it, hey Ed, I agree with you. Uh, it was kind of you know, I, I think that break. But between you know the AFC and NFC championships, then having the Pro Bowl week and everything that you were alluding to, it, it definitely reared its head. I think this year in the first and second quarter, I mean, guys were dropping the ball, kind of seeming like they were on skates, sluggish, uh, sluggish feeling out process, little mistakes like you said. Uh, but at the end of the day, as a fan, and and when you're uh, you you have a an NFL team that you follow like us with the Pittsburgh Steelers that aren't into it. You're just a fan of football at this point. You're just hoping for a good game. And even though it didn't really fall under that category overall, it still came down to the end. It was still the first Super Bowl, I think other than only one other Super Bowl that went into overtime. So at least the end was pretty tense because it, it was uh, pretty fun. You know, I remember all of us, even even the girls like being into it, because, you know, in overtime, it was like every play mattered in a lot of ways and things like that. So it, it turned into something that was fun to watch eventually. But, you know, there was a, a lot of stuff there that was was taken forever to play out. Yeah, it's like for an example, quarter by quarter, the first quarter ended, it was 0-0. The second quarter ended, it was 10-3. to The third quarter ended, it was 13-10. to And then whenever the fourth quarter ended, it was 19-19. And then, obviously, the Niners kicked a field goal in overtime, and the Chiefs scored a touchdown to win. Um, I knew, this is just me, but, like, as soon as the Niners won the toss and said they were taking the ball, I'm like, they're going to lose because Mahomes is going to get the ball last. And that's – you can't do that. You just can't. It's it's a big issue. And it's the, a big reason why teams don't beat Kansas City is because they, they think that there's a – uh, a method to giving him the ball last and somehow winning the game. Um, you're just not going to do it. And it's, and I'll tell you that, I mean, it is possible to beat them like that. Don't get me wrong, but you're not going to do it when it really counts. Like you might do it in the regular season, but you're not going to do it with the season on the line. I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that the way some teams play against them, but it is what it is. I mean, I still stick to what I said. Like, I think the 49ers are a better team than the Chiefs, but the Chiefs just have Patrick Mahomes and sometimes the best player, especially when that player is a quarterback, uh, is the reason why you win. And I feel like that's the reason why they won this time. I don't think too many people would disagree with me on that. Um, I like That's the one thing that I did like about it is, like, I this is just how I am with sports. Like, I feel like it's a prime opportunity to watch certain guys because you're probably not going to see that type of player again. And I'm not going to say that you're never going to see another good quarterback again. That's not what I mean here. But I think Patrick Mahomes is pretty special. So I'm going to watch him as many opportunities as I possibly can. Um, and the dude's really carving it out for himself, too. I mean, you you might as well say right now, if he never plays another down of football, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He has three fucking Super Bowls. Um, wins, by the way. And he's uh, young as shit, too. <laughs> like and, I get and, your point, and, but he's, what, 28? 
28 years old. He's made it to the AFC Championship in all six years that he's been in the league. Um, didn't make the Super Bowl, I think, twice. Um, and then out of the four trips to the Super Bowl, he won three, lost one. So you can't really argue with any of that. It's just this is – I said this to you on the show, like, you know, not too long ago, but I'm like, this is – Mahomes going on the road in the playoffs. This is, like, for his legacy, and they went and won it. And it doesn't matter. They're one of those teams now that, you know, for a while it was like, well, you don't want them to get home field advantage because playing in Kansas City is so difficult. It's not the case anymore. You don't even want Kansas City to get in. And with the way that they are and the fact that they have Patrick Mahomes, they're going to get in. So good luck on that. Like, you're going to have to figure some other way of doing this. But until somebody finds a way to really unseat Patrick Mahomes out of that spot in the AFC – they're going to be there every year moving forward for the remainder of his career. And, and honestly, you know, we were talking about the, the what's world podcast and covering the NFL all season from week to week and everything and, and wrapping it up. And that brings up a really cool storyline arc for the entire 24, 25 season that we have coming up that we'll obviously start covering as is tradition. Hey, Ed here in season five of the what's world podcast. And as they said, it was almost like, you know, our other love, professional wrestling, Muggs doing promos at the end in their speeches with Kelsey, even Andy Reid, Mahomes talking about three-peating. You know, it's like promoting yeah. that the storyline of this season coming up is is who is that is somebody gonna knock off the Chiefs or can the Chiefs three-peat and be the first team to do that? So uh, you know, fun storyline that this this kind of opens up. Uh, into next year uh, too. So the NFL uh, didn't lose any steam this year, breaking all kinds of their own records. And it looks like it's going to continue with, with next year uh, with the chiefs roaring in and, and proclaiming that they're going for their three Pete. Uh, so some of my bullet point uh, highlights that I do. Hey, Ed was of course um, I was really into the end of the game. Like we talked about leading into the overtime and of course the the Patrick Mahomes drive to to win the game, you know, with the the three yard pass to McCole Hardman, um, you know, obviously would probably be the number one highlight, just ending it all. Uh, another one was you know we witnessed history with Jake Moody, who to me he kind of resembles um, Dante from Clerks. <laughs> I don't know if you get that. He he's wasn't the, even supposed to kick yeah, today. He's the Michigan kicker, but uh, he made history with the longest field goal. Um, and then it was beaten by Butker in the same game. He had the, the lone same line drive. Quarter. Same quarter. Yeah, it was 55 yards by Moody, and then uh, Butker hit one for 57. So uh, that was at least something. You know, I know kicking's not the, the high point of NFL games, but it's a, you know, it's a huge aspect of the game. Uh, there's field goals and kicks for a reason. So uh, that was a big highlight. And then I thought this was pretty cool with the the game being hosted in Las Vegas with sports bet- betting being as big as it is now with all the legalization and the apps and, and everything else and DraftKings and all these things and Allegiant Stadium being pretty new because uh, it was a really cool setting. It you know just off the Las Vegas Strip from some of the aerial shots and things like that, the configuration of course limited the attendance. It was the smallest crowd in Super Bowl history other than the COVID season. So that that was yeah it was due to the, to the configuration of the Super Bowl. It was sixty one thousand 
629 people, but it still made for a really cool atmosphere was my whole point. Um, albeit could, could have been a little cheesy in my opinion with some of the stuff, the NFL ads, like they ended it added a nightclub in the one end zone and they had a, a DJ an in-house DJ. So <laughs> so, <stupid. laughs> that wasn't the greatest but, decision maybe, but I, other than that, I kind of wanted to point out some of the, the highlights, you know, breaking down the Super Bowl here, the actual game and coverage and everything. And we'll get back to the game here in a moment, but uh, just curious, what do you think of the halftime show? I was uh, taking the garbage out. <laughs> yeah. So, I, full full I disclosure, I, I respect Usher. Uh, I'm typically not the biggest halftime guy anyway. Uh, you know me with music. You know, I love it, but uh, some of these pop people and stuff uh, miss, miss the J. But, yeah, I, I didn't even watch. My, my wife loved it because, you know, I, that's that song with Usher and Alicia Keys is one of our songs. Cause it came out 20 years ago. We've been together for 20 years. <laughs> so I'm taking the garbage out. My wife's outside. Get up here. You're missing You're like, it. I can't. I'm like, I'm just pause it. It's, we have DVR. You can rewind it. It's like, so, I, I didn't really care for it. It wasn't anything terrible. I just thought it was underwhelming. Uh, but you'll have that with the Super Bowl halftime show. And dude, I felt the exact same way about the commercials. I was like, there were so many commercials I saw during the Super Bowl that just felt like commercials that would have been on during any other fucking football game. So I thought that was a little weird. Um, wasn't really blown away by like movie trailers or anything, which they usually try and put stuff out for. Um, it was more just weird shit than anything. Like the the $100 million worth of fucking Jesus commercials they had on was pretty weird. Um, you know, just not a lot of... Stop. I'm just like, whatever. Well, there was the, the one with uh, Duncan where Ben Affleck was trying out for J-Lo and Brady yeah, was in I'm it. Like, I'm like, whatever. Dude, Brady, Brady, it was like the NFL quarterbacks you know, were all over the different ads because Brady yeah. was in more than one and Marino. I'm like, this is the year of yeah. Dan Marino. In a, in a soccer <laughs> ad with yeah, Messi, which is fucking And as weird. you know, like, my, my dad's currently in a, a business venture with him, so I'm like, oh, get Get us some publicity here, I guess. Or it's something. it's oh. it's for Dan Marino branded soccer balls for some reason. <laughs> yeah. It's a really really poor investment, but it's all right. You know, at least you get to hang out with Marino. But yeah, uh, the one was kind of funny because they they hired um, Michael Sarah as their spokesperson oh, for Sarah V. v. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, dude, he it, kills uh, me. I gotta give props to Michael Sarah. What a horrible commercial but it's like right funny. right in line with my type of humor so yeah. that was fucking funny he's yeah, like yeah good. he's like let me hydrate you with my creams like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it was it was fairly underwhelming but uh but back to the game though uh now i don't know how aware you are of this stuff here but it's like but the 49ers have some difficulties moving forward cuz they're getting very close to the time period where they're going to have to decide whether or not they extend Brock Purdy or not. Uh, what do you think about paid, that? I mean, they're probably going to. Yeah, I, I think I you've got to stick with them, man. He showed you that but, it's not a flash-in-the-pan situation, I feel. But good luck because you're going to lose half of that team in the process. Like, well, you just are. You know, I'm not the GM, hey, Ed, so. That's what I mean about it, though. Yeah. It's like No, I agree, for sure. It's So, like, their window's getting close. Like, they better pull it off next year. I don't know. If yeah, it's kind of – we said we said that about the Rams a couple years yeah. ago. And, yep. You know, that was an obvious thing. I know a lot of pundits were saying it, too, but that's kind of what came into fruition. It's like this is the year they need to win it with Stafford when they 
you know, first had a bunch of those signings and Odell Beckham and, see, and everything, and they pulled it off. But but look at that. They didn't even make it, you know, past the first round. So, And I think Patrick Mahomes is kind of showing people something right now that, well, of course, we know the quarterbacks are the highest paid players in the game, and it's that that's not going to stop anytime soon. But I think Mahomes is showing you that there are quarterbacks out there that are worth $50, $60 million a year, but there are a lot of other really good quarterbacks that aren't. And by that, I mean, I'm not saying they're not worth the money. Like, I don't mean it that way. But they're not all like Mahomes, where he's so good that if you got rid of receivers or you're not going to pay certain receivers, that he's going to make up for that. And there's other quarterbacks that are amazing quarterbacks. They're top-tier, elite-level quarterbacks, but they don't make their players better. I think Josh Allen's kind of somebody like that, um, where paying him that type of money isn't necessarily worth it because then you can't add pieces around him. Where Mahomes' case is, he doesn't, he's going to make them pieces anyway. So it, it, you know, he's kind of worth more money than those types of other quarterbacks. And that's not the easiest thing to find. You kind of luck your way into that aspect because you're not going to know out of college if a guy's like that or not. But it certainly puts Kansas City right there. And, dude, I don't know if you know this or not, Kansas City has one of the top youngest defenses in the league. Yeah. So Yeah, and, and, and that's I wanted to give shout-outs to the defense of Kansas City and, and especially – really good. Yeah, their leader, defensive coordinator – Spagnoli, uh, he has four Super Bowls now. So yeah, which is right there with any other coordinator. Yeah, that's in a big NFL history. So big milestone. Uh, but they're going to need to keep him around for sure. They're going to need to re-sign Chris Jones, who they have not been seemingly able to, to re-sign now for like three years. Like he signs on like one-year deals, and you know they put put the the uh, what do you call it? Um, Oh, why am I brain farting on this? This is terrible. The franchise tag. They put that on. Yeah, him. gotcha. So, like, it's getting to the point where they're going to have to figure that out because he is a pretty integral part of their defense. Um, you know, you got to figure out a way to keep the guy around. But it, they they already have a lot of young guys. Like, they're, of course, paying Travis Kelsey good money. But, like, they have a rookie deal running back, rookie deal wide receivers. Like, I don't know how much you can keep pushing that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they seem like they're going to be able to figure it out pretty easily. And that's, it's a lot easier to figure things out whenever you already have Patrick Mahomes. Of course. Yeah. And that's, you know, just where we're coming from in Pittsburgh, that just brings that up. That's the exact conundrum that the Steeler franchise is, is in right now because they, they bet on Kenny Pickett basically, and it just didn't pan out. So now they're in a situation where the, the quarterback slot is completely, open for for anybody you know the latest rumors this week in pittsburgh are uh them courting uh Tannehill, uh ryan Tannehill from the titans so who Did knows there hear, but just to what you said man it's it just shows that that significant importance of a quarterback did you hear what Schefter said about the steelers quarterbacks yesterday nope he said they're going to get somebody else in here and he was like whether it's justin fields whether it's Ryan Tannehill, and he specifically mentioned Russell Wilson. I feel like they have to. We kind of broke that down. Look at the Steeler quarterback room at the end of the 23-24 season and tell me who your starter is. Yeah, and, Ma- and uh, Mason is most likely going to leave. Uh, Trubisky got cut yesterday, so he's gone. 
Um, so Pickett's the only guy in that room. So you got to fill. You got to at least go get get another veteran. And they might even be looking to draft a guy in the later rounds just to have another, you know, like maybe groom a backup type thing. But I already think, sadly, that they have their backup in Kenny Pickett. They need to figure out who the starter is. But that that's all a side point here from the Super Bowl. But, yeah, Super Bowl 58 wasn't anything overwhelming. Uh, we both picked the Chiefs to win, and they did. Uh, you know, not super surprising there because it's kind of hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, and that's exactly why we didn't. And he's exactly the reason why they won. So we kind of said that, like, you know, Mahomes is going to be the guy that you got to figure out. And if you don't, you're not going to win the game. And they kind of had him figured out for a time period, but it's it's doing it for four quarters, which is the the challenge with him. And, uh, you know, here we are today after the Super Bowl. Uh, Kansas City gets their third win here in four years and is officially a dynasty. And it's back to the drawing board for the San Francisco 49ers. So it kind of just is what it is, Jay. Well, and don't forget, too, I wanted to say this, because, again, bringing up the, the What's Real podcast and the work we've done in covering the NFL all year, we, we know and remember those weeks where Kansas City, you know, referenced our power rankings. You know, they're kind of fluctuating. They didn't look like the same Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of people were criticizing the defense that – that uh Mahomes didn't have a defense back in him this year. And then, you know, probably between a quarter to halfway through the season, that kind of changed. The defense kind of started stepping up and things, you know, evolved into the Chiefs being on top again. But, you know, don't forget that, man. Remember, people were saying that. Like, is Mahomes yeah. still for real and everything else? Dude, so there was three weeks there, too, where it looked like the 49ers were just crumbling. Like, yeah. they just didn't look the same either. So, and that's happened in years past with injuries with that team. So we were saying yep. that could have happened, but it's how everything pans out. But at the end of the day, as as I mentioned, wrapping the season up, it, it opens up a really cool aspect for uh, the next season of the NFL with the Chiefs declaring that they're doing everything they can, which, you know, obviously every team does, but really declaring now that they're going for that elusive three in a row. So that's going to be, uh, you know, fun to watch this year. Absolutely. And of course, you could check in with us for all your coverage of NFL things, as I'm sure we'll be uh, going through that season as well. But that is officially the end to the 2023 coverage here on the What's Real podcast for the National Football League. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did with all of our weekly power rankings, our breakdown of the Pittsburgh Steelers throughout the year, and the coverage and predictions from the rest of the league. But uh, it is time to close that book, Vijay, and we will pick it up later this year. Uh, whenever the NFL season begins again in September. But that is it for us here for that segment. Uh, We are going to take another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be down at the last drive-in because it is time for Joe Bob's Violent Valentine double feature as we take a look at 1996 Freeway and Vamp from 1986. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's a Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right, it's your boy, The J, once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the Dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast, and I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures, and The J can admit, for those consistently listening, week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures, you might be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you, where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content 
that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube Deference, Tubi The Unsung, Churchill Pictures. We create worlds. And we're back, and we are down at the last drive-in this time for Joe Bob's Violent Valentine's Day special uh, that just aired this past week on Shudder. First movie up. It's from 1996, directed by Matthew Bright. We're talking Freeway. A twisted take on Little Red Riding Hood with a teenage juvenile delinquent on the run from a social worker traveling to her grandmother's house and being hounded by a charming but sadistic serial killer and pedophile. This movie, oddly enough, stars Reese Witherspoon as the Vanessa Lutz character. It also has Kiefer Sutherland, Dan Hedaya, Amanda Plummer, Brooke Shields, Bakeem Woodbine, Guillermo Diaz, Brittany Murphy, and a whole cast of others. Um, this is a movie that first got on our radar in the HBO days, for yep, sure. it was HBO. Um, and, dude, it's really funny because Matthew Bright directed four movies. He made Freeway, Freeway 2. He made a movie called Tiptoes in 2003 with Gary Oldman, oddly enough. Um, and also, he made Ted Bundy, which is... Uh, I know Tiffany Shepis pretty well, who's in the movie, and she had uh, less than polite things to say about Michael Riley Burke, who played Ted Bundy in the movie. Um, but yeah, he Matthew Bright has made some really weird stuff, and that all got started with Freeway in 1996. Now, this is a movie that, you know, Kiefer Sutherland, Reese Witherspoon, whatever. Uh, but yeah, the subject matter is not anything of what you're going to think it's going to be. Freeway is a pretty extreme movie. It's pretty entertaining and pretty wild. Uh, It's the movie that, to most of us, uh, Reese Witherspoon was put on the map from. Um, But this movie is very strange. It's very gritty. Um, It's pretty crude, for the most part. Uh, And it's pretty insane. But it's, it's a movie that, like, honest to God, like, it's hard to forget. I was just saying, that's why we always liked it. (laughs) Yep, exactly. There's not much like it. Um, There's some absolutely fucking insane dialogue in this movie. And I mean insane. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland playing the serial killer in this movie is fucking bonkers, too. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is great in the lead roles. Vanessa Lutz, just like total white trash, street garbage of a person. Um, But it's interesting. And I like to, 
the whole Little Red Riding Hood theme throughout the movie. It's one of the more interesting takes on that story that you'll ever see. Uh, it runs for 102 minutes, and it is feverish in its pace. Uh, there's always something going on in this movie. Um, but it is really, you know, in the mid-90s, like out of all the 90s movies, if I was, you know, letting off a list of 90s movies that you need to see, Freeway is definitely one that's going to be on it. Yeah, it's up there, man. So it's a cool one. And and that's the thing, as you were kind of talking about, hey, Ed and Joe, Bob, uh, back to the last drive-in. We got to shout that out. It's been a while here with the Valentine's Day special. But he mentions how uh, the director, was it Matthew Bright? Yeah. As I have the IMDb pulled up right in my face. Hey, Ed, this is the early witching hour here on the What's Real podcast. But he mentions how Matthew Bright's uh, dialogue was so good because the whole thing goes back to um, writer Matthew Bright putting the script together and shopping it around and it falling into the hands with a producer group that included Oliver Stone. So it got a lot of buzz back in the mid nineties that Oliver Stone was involved, but he had no intention of directing it and basically was so into the script, thought it was so well-written and he kind of broke it down. Like this is such a crazy script can be such a good movie that the only person that can direct this is the writer. And Matthew Bright never even directed before, never even wanted to direct at that point and was kind of forced into it by Oliver Stone. So that was a cool uh, little story that, that I wasn't aware of that Joe Bob uh, broke down. And he also mentioned with that writing and, and snazzy writing, like you said, hey, Ed, that you almost kind of get taken out of the viewer of the fact that the the one scene is pretty much on and off for close to 20 minutes. And is just Reese Witherspoon's character and Kiefer Sutherland's character in a car talking. Yeah. But yeah. that's how good it is. You don't even think about the time passing. Yeah, it is a really good script because there it dude, this is one of those movies that has absolutely fucking jet black humor in it. I mean, dark fucking shit. Um actors that are ham like, dude, uh, Brooke Shields is a complete ham in this movie. Uh, you could say the same for Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland too. And I'm not trying to denigrate their performances either. It's like these over the top. in this movie, yeah, they need to be over the top. And it works because of the absolute weirdo atmosphere that this movie seems to have. And it's not in any particular weird place or anything like that. It take, Most of it takes place and it looks like, like the streets of California. Um, but it's, it's such a weird vibe and weird feel that the over the top characters work really well. Like Amanda Plummer is super over the top batshit insane. And this is like a, her drug addicted mother. Yeah, she's fine. Um, There's some solid comedy too. If you can get past the subject matter and just take it for, for what it is. It's like, a, a, like you said, a dark comedy. Yes. I mean, there's themes in this movie of like interracial relationships, rape. Uh, just all kinds of violence, pedophilia, shit. pedophilia, like, and it's Serial not, killer. and nothing in the movie is treated that seriously. It's like, I, I guess, because in a way, you're the Reese Witherspoon character in the movie is just a really downtrodden person. Like her family's garbage. Like she's gonna lead a terrible fucking path in life. She didn't really stand a chance. Yes, and because of her normalization of most of these situations, that's how the movie treats it, too. So it puts you in really wild-ass scenarios, but it doesn't, you know, they're not any different than somebody eating a sandwich. 
So that's part of where the comedy comes in because like, you know, the Vanessa Lutz character's reactions to crazy shit is usually like, yeah, this is all fucked up and then moves on from it. Like, so a lot of it's expected. It's not a movie at at any point where you feel like there's going to be a happy ending or anything like that. There, It's fairly downbeat and trashy. Um, even in the best case of scenarios, it's not going to work out well for anybody in it. It's like one of those movies. So it packs a real punch. There's some really good acting performances in it. It's well-directed, well-written, uh, it, which is honestly kind of surprising for a movie like this, which comes off as like more of like a throwback piece of exploitation than it does like an art film or anything even closely resembling that. Right. Yeah. Good breakdown there. Hey, yeah. One, one thing I wanted to point out, because like you said, like this was a big movie for us growing up and, but it's been years for me and we, we definitely found it on HBO as Joe Bob uh, talks about how it it had a lot of buzz in Hollywood at the time, mainly because of uh, Oliver Stone's stature then and his involvement. But then it, it came to lukewarm or even negative reviews and kind of came and went in the theaters, but then it found an audience uh, eventually and then was re oh because of hbo and then was re-released in, in the theaters and as he mentions did moderate business in its re-released th- theatrical run so that was interesting but but through all that and all these great character actors and, and acting powerhouses uh, as the leads reese witherspoon and keith for sutherland the dude that stood out to me in this watch in particular hey ed was dan Hayed's character detective wallace's partner Detective Breer, played by Wolfgang Bodison. Yep. Wow, was he great in this? Because yeah, he's, he's like he's really weird. Like he, they're interrogating Reese Witherspoon's character at one point, and he's like kind of getting turned on by what she's yeah. saying in a weird way, and they never even explain it and things like that. Yeah. He's just a it's, really weird character, and I like that. That stood out to me this watch. And he wouldn't let Brooke Shields just go like once they figured. Yeah, out he was busting her Sutherland. chops a lot. And he, like Hadea just kind of like, looks at him. Alone. Yeah, like, what are but you he doing? doesn't really get on him overly. Dude, like he just kind of looks at it, him. It is funny though because in the one scene he's like, you know, like well maybe you do this about your husband, and she's freaking out, and he's like, would you leave the lady alone? And he's like, fuck her. Yeah, like, and then she goes and shoots herself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is really alert. weird because dude, it's like one of them scenes where. It's fucking like you're happy about it because her character's fucking so. Yeah, she sucks. You're like shut the overbear- fuck up. Yeah, you hate her. And then two, another one, uh, Brittany Murphy plays yeah, a good call. that she runs into in the, in the the female jail facility. And dude, she's like insane. She's gay. She has like weird scars. fucking scars and shit yeah. all over her face, like. It's a like she's really a bizarre character, and it's it's just a character in passing. Like she just encounters her in the jail for a couple scenes, and then that's it. Like so, like he has a knack for writing characters that aren't really central to the main storyline, but there's something about them that stands out like a motherfucker. And like I've always remembered Brittany. That's probably the first thing I ever saw Brittany Murphy in. And yeah, I kinda, always remembered her being from in that, in that type uh, of weird role. Yeah, almost typecaster in a way, because she would go on to play a, a role like that and Girl Interrupted with Angelina Jolie. You know, she like, yep. plays the good metal patient, but she is really yeah. good at that. Yeah, she's really good at it in this movie. It's a it's a character that sticks out a lot. Um, 
but yeah, there's a lot of that in this one, man. Just like really oddball characters, uh, a really oddball storyline and, and script. But uh, sometimes when you mix enough odd shit in there, it just really works out well. Even, that's even with the cases for freeway, throw throw in the uh, soundtrack to that with Danny Elfman of all people. Yes, <laughs> again that involvement. That's what it's, it's you know. It just shows you, man. You dude, get a huge name involved, and things can happen. This is one of those movies that, even looking back on it, you're kind of amazed that all these people were involved. Exactly, it, it just doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't strike you as the type of project that a lot of people would be like, "Yeah, I want to work on that." Like, like Joe like, Bob says, he's like, "You can notice, like, even the minuscule roles, as long as it's a speaking role in this movie, it's some sort of known professional." You know, yes. even even you know, we were we were talking about the uh, the social worker is the the chick from Two and a Half Men. That's a oh, great yeah, character yeah, yeah. actress uh, we love. I forget her Conchata name. Pharrell. Pharrell, yep. So she pops up in it. So yeah, some, some really Dude, good even, stuff with that. Even Guillermo Diaz pops yeah, up in this Guillermo one Diaz. from uh, Chappelle Show fame. Yep. Like, you know, it has a good cast. It really works. It's a. It's definitely a, a movie that's from the age that it was made in. But it's But like, because of the way they do a lot of shit in this movie, it's not aged at all. Like, right. there's not constant, like, like the fashion's all pretty, like, odd. So it's like it doesn't look dated and shit yep. like that. Like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in this one. Um, but, yeah, man, Freeway holds up very well. Uh, it's always going to be Matthew Bright's probably best film, uh, which is crazy because, like I said, dude, he made a movie called Tiptoes. This movie has Gary Oldman, Patricia Arquette, Matthew McConaughey, Kate Beckinsale, Peter Dinklage, like, he worked with major actors, but it's amazing how that's essentially like a forgotten movie. Uh, but everybody that's seen it seemingly remembers Freeway. So I guess that's a little bit, you know, leads to a little bit more power in what the actual movie in itself is. Because it's it's a very unforgettable movie, to say the least. Yeah. Speaking of that, hey, yeah, you knock. See, see, it's the witching hour. You set them up, I knock them down, the Jay was trying to say. But uh, I just had to throw out there. My favorite part of this film, it always stood out to me. It's it's a great quote, such a powerhouse performance from such a young Reese Witherspoon. And, and Joe Bob talks about this. But to set up the scene, uh, Reese Witherspoon's character, Vanessa Lutz, is going through her trial. So she's in her full, you know, orange jumpsuit, jumpsuit and prison garb and sitting, waiting for the, the, the court to start and everything. And in walks Kiefer Sutherland's character, Bob. And it's the first well, in, time she's seen him. gets rolled, Bob. Yeah, he gets rolled in on a wheelchair. And he's in a neck halo. And his face is all deformed. And she says, holy shit. Look who got beaten with the ugly stick. Is that you, Bob? I can't believe such a tiny, teeny, weeny little gun made such a big mess out of someone. You're so ugly, Bob. And hey, I heard you have one of those big poop bags that's attached to where the shit comes out of the side. You're just a big old shit bag, ain't, ain't, shit bag, ain't you, Bob? You just think of me every time you empty that motherfucking thing, motherfucker. That's <laughs> a great, yeah, great she's quote. great. In it, she, yeah, she delivers it great. But like dude, Joe Bob says, this, what a way to run somebody down. She just runs them down to high hell with words. And I'm not kidding, but like, dude, she has Oscars, and I still think this is the best performance of her career. It's yeah. so offbeat and weird, and she nails it. So it's also one of them reasons, too, like years ago when people were kind of sick of her that I never really, like, hated Reese Witherspoon because I'm like, she, she can she did 
free. She can do it. Yeah. yeah, she can. Meanwhile, like like Joe it. Bob did say too, like she doesn't even talk about this movie really anymore. <laughs> Which is weird because I mean it's a yeah, it's I guess a good the movie. subject matter. She's a mom now, all that shit. Whatever it. Yeah. it is, what it is, but it is that time once again. The J. So hit us with a tagline for Freeway. All right, the tagline for Freeway. Uh, the only one I had on IMDb hate you was I just moved it. Um, I don't have one actually. Okay, no. her life. Is no fairy tale. So there you go. And as we do here on the show, we have a five-star rating scale. So the J, what are you going to give Freeway? And I I did have it. Hey, I'm really struggling during this segment. I give Freeway a solid three and a half. Yeah, I'm, I like it a little bit better. I'm going to go with a four because um, I'm a really big fan of this one. So let's move right along to part two of our double feature here, the J. This one's from 1986, and it's called Vamp. It's from director Richard Wink. Uh, who really didn't go on to make anything the else wankster. of significance. The Winkster. Uh, two fraternity pledges go to a sleazy bar in search of a stripper for their college friends, unaware it is occupied by vampires. Uh, this movie stars Grace Jones, of all people, as Katrina. Um, I completely forgot that this movie had Chris Makepeace in it, playing played by Keith. Um, I did remember Robert Russler was in this one, who you guys might rem- remember from... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. He's Jesse's best friend. He's also the uh, the sidekick, if you will, of Robert Downey Jr. in Weird Science. Um, but he plays a major role in this one. Dee Dee Pfeiffer shows up in this one. That's Michelle Pfeiffer's sister. Uh, Getty Watanabe shows up in this one, who is Long also Dick known Dong. As Long Duck Dong from uh, Sixteen Candles. Uh, Billy Drago shows up in this one looking extra as an albino. <laughs> yes. Um, and basically what this movie is, is just it's pretty low budget. These guys go to a strip club and before you know it, they start dropping out of sight. Yeah, they're trying and, to rush a fraternity. Yes. And they're trying. They decide kind of like saying, fuck that. We don't even want to do this. Um, but it's. It's a weird movie. Like, there's not a lot going on in this one other than just them being at the strip club. Like, uh, Chris Makepeace ends up being the lead character. Uh, there's some pretty interesting stuff in this one, especially one in particular scene uh, with Grace Jones turning into a vampire. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but Vamp isn't, it, it's not anything major, but it's also not terrible. It's just there. No, it was uh, cool. I haven't seen this. You know, talk about how long I've seen this. I couldn't even remember. The last time. Yeah. I Same here. This is another HBO one, time. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't remember if it was HBO for me or the video store. Um, but it's not like I kind of figured like it'd been forever since I seen it. But I kind of knew what I was getting into anyway. Because I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen this in forever. I've had no reason to see this. It's not like I picked up a Blu-ray of it or anything like that. So I wasn't expecting this to really like knock my socks off or anything. There's some. Some fun stuff in this one, but it's not the best either. So it's just kind of there. Yeah, I, I always remember this is another one I wanted to shout out because we we've discussed this aspect uh, with films like this before in the time frame of its release and everything, and, and us coming up as, as film goers. It, it's one of those ones that the poster art it reminds me of the video store. I remember seeing it. It's like oh, yeah. the, the lipstick where the the V and vamp and you know the the word vamp, the V and the M. 
make like the the vampire fangs and the lipstick so that always stood out but yeah like you said hey it's definitely a mediocre average movie but not revisiting it for so long and of course having it as part of the the last drive and as we always like to shout out with joe bob's interludes you know it always helps to watch too so this was fine he nailed this one for me joe bob yeah Uh, he brought up how the this is one of those movies that feels like it has five different endings in it, which is always a mistake in my opinion. And another one that he brought up um, is he kind of said the movie is there's too much comedy and not enough horror. And I kind of agree with him on that. Yeah, too. that's a like, good call. Like, yeah, the vibe sometimes gets fucked up by good, it. Like, you need to know when to be horrific and when to be funny. Uh, this movie kind of mixes that together and. You know, there is some good visual stuff in this movie. I'll say that. Like, they they did, did try to make the movie look interesting. And obviously, they were setting up a lot of the shots and things like that to be done creatively and with artistic merit. Um, but it's sadly, though, it's just the script isn't that great. Um, Getty Watanabe is, like, I was expecting a much different character for him out of this, rewatching it this time, where it's just... Because I was like, dude, why do people not talk about him in this that that much? Because he's pretty good. And then I'm watching it. And I'm like, yeah, because they just don't really give him anything other than just yeah. being like the horny dude that's along with the ride for them. It just feels like a tacked on character that didn't even really he, need to be in he, the movie. He did have one good line. He was like the friends run off. So he's like just in the, the club by himself at this point. And so he's just talking to the bartender and he was drinking all the his friend's beers because they all left. The yeah. beer was left. So he's pretty, you know, they're just foreshadowing that he's going to be hammered. And so he asked the waitress, he's like hitting on her. He's like, what time do you get off? And she's like two 30. And he's like, can I watch? And then it just cuts. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I, I guess, agree. I remember yeah. that too. I was like, I'm yeah. going to have to use that sometime. Yeah, like, exactly. But yeah, nothing too deep here. Or interesting here. It's just kind of a one and done. Definitely. Uh, a very weird second half of a double feature with Freeway. I'll say yeah. that much. So that was really... Which like, I, I, I w- typically like completely random shit, but that was very random. <laughs> yeah. A Freeway Vamp double feature. I wouldn't dude, come up with that one. And I think it would have worked a little bit better if Vamp was the first movie, frankly. Yeah. Uh, that's just my opinion on that. But but yeah, I mean, nothing too great here. Um, like I said, the cast is interesting, but they don't have a lot of interesting stuff to work with. Um, there's some good visual stuff, some good effects, and a really cool scene with Grace Jones as a vampire. But other than that, a lot of meandering and a lot of bad comedy. Uh, you know, I'm glad that I got a chance to rewatch it, but frankly, I couldn't tell you when I'm going to be rewatching this one again. It's just not that interesting to me other than, you know, a one-time watch for the first time in a really long time. Yeah, for sure. And th- this was some uh, cool trivia I had for my MDB, because uh, as you're aware, just watching this movie, Grace Jones does not speak a single word of dialogue in the film. Yep. Uh, so according to Jones, uh, this was her own idea, and she was opting instead to play the role with silent film techniques, of course, inspired by Max Schreck in Nosferatu. But yeah, it's a and cool she is good thing. at that. Yeah, she's very. That, that made, might have made it better, uh, you know, as far as her character went, because uh, like you said, her transformation scene where she kills uh, Robert Russell's character is really cool. But right before that is her introduction, and she's on stage doing her dance as the stripper of the Queen of the Vampires, and she's in what like she's painted in white. And Joe Bob would go on to say that there was a renowned artist that did her body paint for the movie. 
and it's oh, like, it was Keith it was, Herring. Yeah, that's right, Keith Herring. Yep. Like, time staking, and and that's a real she really cool look. She has in like these bright blue contacts and bright red lipstick, and like I said, she's painted white. And it's Grace Jones just gyrating like that was entrancing. You know, that was cool. Yeah, that stuff is definitely cool. I mean, there's cool stuff about the movie. It just misses some marks. Yeah, no, um, I definitely. Agree. I mean, dude. If you pull Grace Jones out of this movie, it's completely uninteresting, frankly. Yeah. Like, it's just a, a generic kind of whatever movie. But um, a lot of people brought up, too, that this is uh, essentially the the theme of From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, but done, Before like, du- From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> yeah. Like, really amp the fuck up for yeah. that. So, Vampire strippers, man. Yeah. It wouldn't Let's create a new subgenre. Yeah. I'd be down. There you go. Well, there's already a bunch of movies in that genre anyway, so we're good. You're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vamp's okay. That's I guess that's the best way I can kind yeah. of explain it. I, but I, do we have a, a tagline for Vamp? Yeah, just a simple one. A frightening comedy. All right. I have another one, too. Ever have one of those nights? So uh, Vamp, as we do here on the show, five-star rating scale, I'm going to give Vamp two and a half stars. Yeah, I, I just went to Ahead for Vamp. All right. Very fair, I suppose, there. So we are up against another commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is time to dip back into the wonderful world of Walter Hill, this time with Ryan O'Neill in 1978's The Driver. So stay tuned. We'll be back right for this right here on the What's Real Podcast. It's the IWC International Wrestling Cartel's latest huge event in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. It's Reloaded 10.0. Anybody can show up when IWC hits the reset button. On Saturday night, February 24th, bell time 7 p.m. Featuring former WWE superstar Elias making his return to the IWC. Tickets on sale now at IWCWrestling.com. It's Reloaded 10.0. And we're back, and again, it is February, so it is time to get into another week of who we've devoted this entire month to, director Walter Hill. It is the wonderful world of Walter, and today we go back to 1978 for The Driver. The Driver specializes in driving getaway cars for robberies. His exceptional talent has prevented him from being caught yet. Another successful flight from the police, a self-assured detective makes it his primary goal to catch The Driver. He promises pardons to a gang if they help to convict him of a set-up robbery. The driver seeks help from the player to mislead the detective. Uh, Of course, it stars Ryan O'Neill as the driver. This is one of my favorite things about this movie, by the way, the Jay, and I don't know if you noticed this or not. Did you notice that there's literally nobody in this movie has a name? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, Ryan O'Neill plays the driver. driver, Bruce Dern plays the detective. Yep. Isabella Adjani plays the, the player. player. Yeah. Ronnie Blakely is the connection. Matt Clark is rain pla- red plainclothesman. There's gold plainclothesman. There's glasses. There's teeth. There's exchange man, the kid, fingers, split, frizzy, floor man, card player, boardman, blue mask, green mask. So that's very interesting. And what you're getting is 
they introduce you to Ryan O'Neill as the driver. And in one of the coolest scenes in the movie, he's about to be hired by these guys. And they're like, you know, like, he, he doesn't want to work with them. And then he comes back and he's like, all right, I'll work with you. But my fee's doubled. And the guy's like pissed about it. And, the, and one of the dudes is like, man, uh, why are we willing to pay him this? We don't even know if he's any good. And he's like, get in. And he drives him around a parking garage where he destroys a car without hurting anybody inside of it. Like he shows you how good of a driver he is. So you're like, okay, I know what I'm dealing with here. Then the detective character comes into play. By the way, played amazingly in this movie by Bruce Dern. He's such a fucking scumbag asshole. Yeah, he's so that, good at this. It's, but like, it's not so much either that like he does horrible shit. It's just the character. Yeah, like, he's just, he's just like, like a slimy dickhead, doesn't give a fuck. Everybody's wrong but him. He's going to do anything in his power to fucking get this guy. So it leads you in a situation as the viewer where you're kind of rooting for the driver. And especially because, like, who doesn't like fucking characters that are basically infallible? They're always on top of shit. They look like they're unstoppable. Like, that type of thing. And the cool thing is they introduce the Isabella Johnny character of the player in here. And she, like, muddles the whole fucking plot. And I'm, I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, in a good way. Like this, right. the characters, like you can't read her. You don't really know whose side she's on. She's either a constant source of stress or is the, the way that people get out of things. Um, the character's really interesting too because of that. Uh, Ronnie Blakely as the connection's really interesting too because she's involved with all these different players, but she's basically sitting above them all. Like... These people are all beneath me. They're basically hired people. So, like, it's an interesting character to have. And, again, it really leads me into this, dude. And I know it's an off-the-cuff kind of thing. But, like, if you've only ever seen A Nightmare on Elm Street, you will never understand why Ronnie Blakely's a big deal at all. Because she is fucking awful in that movie. And I've always felt that way. And then you see her show up in something else, and she's really good in it. And this is one of those things to me. Like, okay, there was something weird with that, but she's she is a good actress. And for the very limited scene she's in in this, she's actually really, really good. Um, they do a great job at casting, like, all the random criminals that show up in this movie. They're great. Um, but, dude, the big star of this movie is Walter Hill. Uh, because of his direction... Some of the fucking driving scenes in this are absolutely outstanding. That scene in the garage in particular is really, really good. Yeah, that stands out. Um, the cinematography in this is great. This also gives us a large dose of what Walter Hill's famous for, which is like the glowing neon at night type stuff that he does in this so well. Um, and it's amazing to me, dude. And I'm a big fan of Ryan O'Neill. You know that. We kind of already talked about it on the show. Um I love him in the role of the driver. It's subdued when it needs to be. He's like an oddball, quirky character, and he plays it perfectly. It's really an outstanding performance by him. And I didn't know what to expect in it. And when I was watching this movie, because I'd seen the driver before, but it had been a really long yeah, it's time. Yeah, another one sometime. Uh, I was really amazed at what Ryan O'Neill was able to do in this movie. 
with very limited dialogue and very limited emotional response. Like the character's very measured, doesn't show a lot of emotion and stuff. And that's not an easy character to play, but he really does a good job in this. And it, and on top of that, his character being that way really plays for an amazing foil for the detective who is nothing like that. He's brash. He's a loudmouth dickhead. He doesn't give a fuck about anybody but himself. And it really plays, interestingly, up against Ryan O'Neill's character, the driver. Yeah, that goes into like the first time that that they meet in person, like that he confronts him, Dern's character, yep. and and he's yep. like, "You're you you lay low." He's like, "You don't have friends. You don't have a girlfriend. You're you know you're in a low rent apartment." Like you know, he's kind of breaking them down, and those are the the kind of oil and water characters in this cat and mouse game through the movie, which you know obviously that's what it's built on. It makes sense and it really works. You know, especially like you're mentioning with these two actors at the helm and the characters. Uh, one thing I wanted to to start with too, hey Ed was you know, directly shouting out our icon of the month, Walter Hill, because he had been assistant director on bullet from 1968, you know, the famous Steve McQueen car film, the Thomas crown affair and Walter Hill wrote the getaway. And so this script was originally written for Steve McQueen because Walter Hill had that connection, but McQueen at the time would turn it down because according to Walter Hill, he didn't want uh, to do anything that had to do with cars at that time and had Mm -hmm. felt he had already done that, which like Walter Hill said was pretty hard to argue with that. But as we know with filmmaking, you know, next person up and sometimes, you know, as they say, everything happens for a reason, you get Ryan O'Neill in the role who, like you said, Hey, had really epitomized it. So uh, just another one of those unique things that, that of course this was kind of looked at for a Steve McQueen pun intended vehicle uh, and then you ended up getting Ryan and Neil O'Neill instead, which I think were, would you know ultimately work better. Dude, through the three weeks that we've done this so far, it's kind of led me to think a little bit more about Walter Hill and the type of movies that he makes and everything. But you know the one thing that I would say about Walter Hill that he does better than almost anybody as far as directors go is that he starts his movies off and then, like, you know, you get introduced to the the immediate things that you need to, right? Like, in this movie, you see Ryan O'Neill being the driver, and, you know, you're introduced to what he does. In The Warriors, before they get to the shot where, the scene where Cyrus gets shot, they're talking, they're like, oh, we got to go to here, and da 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 And, like, so you're getting an idea of what the basis is for this. And, uh, why am I brain farting? What was the movie we talked? Oh, Southern Comfort. Same thing. Sets up the soldiers like they're going on this military exercise and they're in the swamps. Okay, so you know what's going on there. Then something happens, right? Whether it be in uh, whenever fucking the detective first gets onto the trail here. uh, If you're talking about when Cyrus gets shot in the Warriors, when you're talking about uh, whenever the, the lead, you know, Peter Boyle character or not Peter Boyle, Peter Coyote. Uh, gets shot in Southern Comfort. Soon as that major event happens, boom, off to the races. And the movies don't stop until the credits roll. You could say the same thing, too, for uh, 48 hours. Like, you're getting introduced to Nick Nolte's character uh, as this no-nonsense asshole cop. And then he gets saddled up with Eddie Murphy. And as soon as that happens, boom, we're off to the races. Uh, He likes to introduce you to the segment and what's going on. 
And then it's like, here comes the ride. Better get in the cart because we're not going to stop for anybody. And I think that that's something that he does very well. And I don't know if there's anybody else that really does that to the capacity of Walter Hill. Yeah, no, that, that's a great call because that that just helps structure a movie. Because another thing, too, that could kind of go into this conversation had with we're at with where we're at now as film goers and with the era, uh, you know, we always say flow of the show, like we talked about in, in the opening of what's real this episode when we were talking like hard copy and streaming services and how everything's evolved and where it's at now. It is the fact that TV storytelling took leaps and bounds from things like The Sopranos and The Wire and Game of Thrones and kind of became a different way of visual storytelling because they could do long term storytelling. You know, you, you could do yeah. a lot different storytelling devices and just how you do it when you have 10 seasons as opposed to an hour and a half. And just to your yeah. point with that is is how Walter Hill creates his his films, which are kind of like, you know, going on a ride with Walter Hill. And, and I, yeah. I kind of see that how you broke it down is like he, he has a really good pace technique with, with everything we've watched to this point. And, and I like how he does that because he really exemplifies that in the driver, like you said, kind of the way it's built up. Because at the end of the day, when you strip everything down, th this would probably go under the category of like film noir. You yeah, know, with like the car, so. you know, sprinkle in the car chases and things like that. But it's it's a noirish kind of movie, you know, and, and, and the biggest perspectives from that of Bruce Stern's character of the detective, of course, who kind of carries it and going after the driver. But what, what goes into it, too, we got to talk about, hey, as is, is Hill's script, because this is a really well, well written movie, too, I feel, because critically, it got shat on when it first came out back in Which the 70s ridiculous to me yeah it's ridiculous and, and it's another one of those ones where it grew on people uh, you know i think at the time people were thinking it was kind of pretentious and things like that but uh, like we say that's that's what you get with and critics dude, i think it's it's like the like it's the absolute opposite of pretentiousness to me because dude there's there's no time for bullshit in this he doesn't even name the fucking characters so you're not getting that scene of bruce dern like drinking coffee at the police station and be like, oh, my goddamn wife's a pain in the ass, Dave. Let me tell you. Like, oh, yeah? Like, all right, well, I got to work on this case. Like, there's no fat on this at all. There's no time for any of that. There's not, you don't know if the detective is married and has a life. You don't know any backstory of Ryan O'Neill or why he really became the driver. You don't know why Isabella Johnny's character is involved with this stuff the way that she is. It doesn't matter. It's just, this is what it is. Well, wonder why? No, it doesn't matter. This is what it is. Yeah, but what about his relationship? It doesn't matter. We don't have time for that. It's this driver, and it's this fucking detective, and it's this woman in the middle, and then you sprinkle in, like, the, the connect, you know, the Ronnie Blakely character. But, like, we don't have time for that shit. We're going, going, going. The car chases. Move. Go. And it gives up that pacing because it, it also works with the theme of the movie. Like, the driver's always trying to get away. The detective is always trying to chase him down. So we don't have time to deal with simple pleasantries and the weather and bullshit. We're on the move. We got to go, 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 go. That puts you in the shoes of the characters 
and it pushes the pacing of the movie and it gets you as the viewer in the right mindset for the story that's being delivered. So for somebody to like know that when they're sitting down to write a script is incredibly that's, impressive. That's why he's a pro. Uh, yeah. Because you can't, dude, you know this because you've, you've made movies. Sometimes when you write something in a script, it's easier said than done. Like you might come to the day of shooting and you're like, we can't fucking do this. So to know that ahead of time, form it that way, and literally have that be the purpose for how you're going to deliver the movie is very difficult. Like, it's not easy writing. You don't know if you can make things interesting enough. It kind of feels like... if I feel like if you were telling, you were write, telling people you were writing a movie like this, they would just huff at you, think you're lazy, and think you're not really writing a script. You know, like, oh, you yeah, just right. want to shoot stuff. But the reality of it is, is he's writing this motherfucker. Like, it's being written that way on purpose. Not an easy thing to do at all. And I think it's something that he fucking passed with absolute flying colors because this movie's fantastic because of that. Yeah, and that, and that was cool, you know, with, with fresh eyes after all these years watching it, you know, in our celebration of, of Walter Hill with the driver, you know, because I, I, I watch everything with, with different eyes now. I mean, I I get more inclined to seeing film in a different perspective with every project I do personally independent film and things like that you know so it's like it's kind of cool to sit down and say like man i haven't watched this as a kid i have a whole new view on the movie making process now like let's see how walter hill did this for real because i probably last watched this in my 20s you know stoned not even paying attention you know what i mean like i was really really giving it just like a random night of watching a movie like all right i'll watch this and 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 it's different we're we're gonna discuss it too exactly and that and that's why a film like this you know with the driver in later years, like we said, just to give it its props, despite the initial negative re- reviews, has become one of Hill's most popular films. You know, Hill's always going to be known for the Warriors, of course, but this introduces people that are into the Warriors to further into his catalog, catalog because, you know, it started to receive more positive critical reception in later years. And then you have directors like Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright, who I'm a huge fan of, who have cited The Driver as a major influence. Yeah, you wouldn't have movies like Drive or Baby Driver without it. Exactly, and those are two awesome movies too. And I'm I'm not even the biggest car guy, but I I've, I, I even have like a you know talking about the the collecting. Like I have a little chunk of of car films, you know, because I, I I like movies like this. Actually, even not being a big car guy, you know, come to think of it, uh, to, uh, and come to think of subgenres that we keep bringing up to, like vampire stripper movies. But but yeah, Dude. no, this was this was like really good, like you said, because overall the pacing of it is really i think going back to that what gets me ad because um you know this one was kind of like rolling the credits and i was like oh damn that kind of came and went and in a good way you know because of that pacing you were saying and dude this is crazy right check this out so he made the driver then the next year he came out with the warriors then he came out with southern comfort Then he did 48 Hours. Then he did Streets of Fire. Then he did Brewster's Millions. Then he did Red Heat. Like, yeah, that's a career. That's a hell of a fucking run right there, man. Like, like some really, really good stuff. And like we said, completely different projects, completely different films. That's what's so cool. And I, and I totally forgot to bring this up 
he made the Long Riders in between making the Warriors and Southern Comfort. So that's another one. Yeah, and that's a Western in 1980. Dude, I don't know if you realize this or not. He made Trespass. Yeah. With yeah, Ice I remember team. us talking about that. Yeah, Trespass like, was great. I mean, it's pretty Blue, wild. Blue Chips we brought up. Yeah, Blue Chips is another good one in the 90s. He did uh, Wild Bill, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, of course, the movie we're going to take a look at next week here on the show is Hard Times, his very first movie with show favorite Charles Bronson. Uh, but like, yeah, man, interesting career and one that in a lot of ways too, like people just seem to forget about, I, which is crazy to me. Um, but this dude was in the early 80s as reliable and bankable of a director as you were going to find. And he's almost not like an unknown, but I don't I think people nowadays know about the Warriors more than anything else. But then stuff like, you know, 48 hours is kind of getting more forgotten. Streets of Fire, uh, The Driver, uh, Southern Comfort, you know, like it's crazy to think that people don't think about Walter Hill in that regard. But again, I guess it's kind of to our advantage because that's why we get to do stuff like this in February and help to bring a little bit more light to it in our own way. Yeah, exactly. And one one other thing I wanted to mention, just specifically talking about uh, the driver, of course, and and some of the the, the way it influenced guys and, and its reception since you know its initial box office and stuff. Where Edgar Wright went on to say, like you said, which is a pretty obvious thing, but nonetheless, his 2017 film Baby Driver was influenced by the driver, and he would go on to say. It's also that its influence on video games is very clear. And in movies, its styles, its style has echoed throughout the work of Michael Mann, James Cameron, Quentin Tarantino, Nicholas Wren. And, and of course, with his new film, Baby Driver, you know, that's Edgar Wright, Wright's quote. So that just brings us all the way up to modern time. You know, like like we like to bring up, dude, this is Walter Hill's second film from 1978, you know, and it it. it echoes throughout film history to be a, a really big influence on stuff to this day. Absolutely. So as we do here on the show, the J hit us with a tagline for the driver. So the driver's tagline, I have it here from the poster to break the driver. The cop was willing to break the law. And as we do here on the program, a five-star rating scale, the J, what are you going to give the driver? Solid three and a half from the J for the driver. Yeah, I'm going to give this one four and a half. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. And that's why I'm rating it so high. Uh, but that is another week, guys, that we finished off here in the wonderful world of Walter Hill. And we will continue uh, on that path next week here on the program uh, whenever we go back to 1975 with Charles Bronson and, uh, of course, James Coburn. Uh, we're talking hard times. So join us for that next week. Uh, there will actually be no dusty roads here uh, because it's not those kind Cut of hot towns. But uh, we are up against our very last commercial break this week. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and we're going to talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Roll podcast. Hey, everyone. It's the wizard behind the boards, Cam, doing an ad for my company, High Loft Productions. High Loft Productions is a video production company owned and operated by me. And I specialize in content like music videos, business promo videos, photo shoots, and podcasts like the What's Real podcast. 
If you're listening out there and would like to work together, head over to my website, www.highloftproductions.com, or find me on social media at High Loft Productions to get started. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Geeks. And we're back, and it is that time once again. So, the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, hey, Ed, I know you're jealous because I know your ass can't breathe right now, but the J has his ability to take in a deep breath and enjoy this fresh, crisp air as we are still here in mid-February in the winter in the Northeast and here down at the lagoon. The animals are, are still not frolicking right now. The beluga whales down in the tunnels that Nuckchore has built, but it's still a great setting, hey, Ed, and the spring is on the horizon but we're just not there yet. How How's your nose holding up after this marathon of a episode of the What's Real podcast? Pretty fucking terrible, but we're hanging in there. Well, maybe this will make you feel better. Happy 15th anniversary, hey, Ed, to Friday the 13th, the reboot, which was released in theaters this day as we talk, 2009. <laughs> the, the great creative choice to... Make Jason a talk about underground tunnels, ironically, with with the ones we yeah. here, have here at the studio. But that's what they did in that film. And I don't know if that was a, a great choice. I'm going to go with no. But it is the 15 year anniversary of that film. And you know what's crazy about that? Just speaking of it, 15 years without a Friday the 13th anything because of the legal tie ups with the IP. That we've well, the, on the, the, show, so. the awesome video game that we got that just oh, that's true. died. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, that's it. Now that, that's been years too. So it's been a while. Well, this, this is a great one. Hey, you know, to stay segue into here is I'll send it to you. Cause this one is, is pretty wild. So it's, it's straight from USA today, a 200 foot radio tower in Alabama is reportedly stolen. And the crime has police baffled. And as the first so, comment says, stolen by what? Godzilla? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if police are baffled by that, like I, maybe the police there just aren't very good. Well, I mean, here's the thing. According to reports, the thieves, oh, the thieves pulled off what seemed to be an impossible crime. Now the AM radio station is left with a $60,000 bill and is unable to broadcast on the radio. So... This 200 foot radio, 200 foot radio tower in Alabama was stolen and has gone missing without a trace. Dude, I'm not going to read it on here. I just thought it was hilarious. And I sent it to you. The funniest reply in the comments to me. And it's like <laughs> about who stole it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Drew, it just says that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to read that on the air because it's fucked up. But it's, we're, we're smart enough to not throw that I into just, the ether. I just caught it and was like, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll just send this to you, hey, yeah, right now, and go ahead and read off the headline because it kind of says it all for this next part of GRG 195. <laughs> Drinking laxatives and super gluing my butthole shut. <laughs> yeah. That's what this young individual tried as part of a joke. Um, people asking, did he die? 
Uh, did he, who is did he, who is who is the video asking for me? <laughs> yeah. I'm curious what happened next. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was that was the only headline. This picture of some dude on the pot, and it just says "drinking laxatives and super gluing my butthole shut." Dude, period. <laughs> mic drop. Three point one million views. Shout out to at doofus maestro with the greatest response comment. Unstoppable force versus a movable object. Yeah. <laughs> what can't go down must come up. <laughs> so yeah, I would I would not suggest, you know, we try to teach lessons as well here on GRG. I would I would suggest to any young people listening for advice, do not drink laxatives and super glue your butthole shut. You know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the contrary. Go for it, kids. You never know. Maybe yeah, that's true. Work. I mean, that's you know that's how you learn things via experimentation. So go with Uncle Head on that one, young Kia. And, that- and not not on any legal basis because yeah. I'm I'm, a, I'm allegedly telling you to go for it. Well, and you're saying it as quote Hey Ed, not your real that's uh, true government name. Yes, hence the old. Uh, <laughs> The, the, the time told tale of Hulk Hogan <laughs> slash penis. Terry Bollea. <laughs> Terrence case, Bollea. Yeah. In case you missed it, hey, Ed, a transgender woman who sued her ex over thrown out balls gets case tossed. <laughs> There's a lot of throwing in this one. Yeah. Stop throwing balls, tossing cases. Uh, <laughs> That's a, dude, this is the first one. Transgender woman. <laughs> Who'd sue sued X over thrown out balls gets case tossed. That's nuts. <laughs> I'm terrible. I was just getting ready to say this headline is nuts. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I, guess. I stole your thunder. <laughs> this this headline is testicles. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Goddamn old scrotum situation. Old scroty scrotes. Yeah. Next up, hey, Eo, do you remember? Because we were big fans of the the director Larry Clark. Of course, made the classic kids. And then yeah. he came out with this movie that we couldn't wait for. And we watched it and we were so disappointed called Teenage, Teenage Caveman. Yeah, and I am I just sending to you because in a pl- real life plot twist, the star of that film, he also starred in 10 Things I Hate About You. Andrew Keegan <laughs> is responding to th- rumors that he's a cult leader. And this Sweet. is dead serious. So it turns out through TMZ that rumors are abound that actor Andrew Keegan is a cult leader, but he is dismissing it as it is all nothing but clickbait and saying he's, uh, he done what uh, is a cool community for people to gather in. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a cult basically. Some some loopholes here. Um, But yeah, he explained that he decided to start a community center named full circle to do positive things after getting deeply immersed in Venice beaches culture when moving there in his thirties. So this included penis mutilation. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm not reading the rest. What? Of yeah. This was, uh, I guess ever since 10 things I hate about you, he wanted to start a religion. Cause I guess this is from a startling what? vice article entitled one of the stars of 10 things I hate about you started a religion i think it's safe to say that we can now change the title of that to the 11 things i hate about you <laughs> yeah. andrew kagan because i hate that you're a fucking cult leader yeah. you weird fuck 
with your dick manipulation. Yeah, dick manipulation. manipulation. <laughs> yeah, that's puppetry of the penis. Which yeah, you know me, I love that. Uh, I, I, everything was fine, and then we did this story, and now somehow I'm fucking 700 miles deep into the fucking witching hell. Yeah. I don't know what's going on anymore. I think the mushrooms just kicked in. The, the journalists claimed that Andrew was known as the leader who had the ultimate say on all things, adding that they were greeted by a man named Third Eye and found themselves in the inner circle of enlightened members. Yeah, that's not a cult at all. Yeah, so it's, this kind of goes dude, on with him abusing muscle milk, which I you know it's like a, <laughs> a post workout fucking. Dude, that's I like I could just like, dude, did you hear Andrew Keegan's a cult leader? Just to hear all the people's response of who the fuck is Andrew? Keegan? Yeah, isn't that the dude that was addicted to muscle muscle milk? Like, no, he's the dude from uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. I was like, no, that was the same dude. Like, oh, yeah, then, yeah, that's him, I guess. Yeah, and then this this was breaking news from the Super Bowl. As everybody that watched the game knows, there was a Super Bowl 58 streaker, and TMZ got the man. So I guess he didn't get too much jail time, and he would go on to explain why he ran on the field half naked. He broke his silence explaining why he dropped 42K on front row tickets only to be tackled on the field half <laughs> naked and thrown in the pokey. But of course, it was from a bet. Hey, yeah. dude, it said that he, yeah. And it, all I read was the part here that said Gonzalez says he was at a UFC event the day before Super Sunday, and he told everyone who would listen, including Doctor Phil and the Nelk Boys. Who's the like, Nelk who Boys? I'm sorry, who the fuck is the Nelk Boys? It's us, and we didn't even know. I know. It's, it's like, like that's you, know, you guys. And, and you guys are- Nelk. <laughs> like you, you don't remember the dude telling you about the streaker on Saturday when you were at UFC, and it's like, dude, I don't even remember being at UFC. So, oh god, it's a it's a Canadian American YouTube channel and entertainment company. If there's anything that I hate, that it's it's Can Am stuff. Yeah. Twelve things the I hate fu- about all of this. Yes, it's just it's gonna. Die. Hey, I can't wait for the next story so we can get up to thirteen because I'm sure <laughs> it's gonna be something else that I hate. Well, let's see, hey, yeah, because it was a follow-up story like we like to do, and justice is actually served. So that's a, it's a good way to go out. We did the reporting. A 45-year-old man allegedly stole a Jackie Robinson statue and destroyed it. Well, they caught his ass, hey, yeah. And what it looks like, yeah, they're throwing the proverbial baseball bat at his, at his skull as uh, he's hit with four criminal charges. Ricky Alderete. Yeah, what a piece of trash. Al- Alderete. I don't, huh. We're gonna insane? we're gonna send the uh the Nilco boys after him. Yeah, the Nelk boys are gonna come get you, son. Yeah, so but you wanna know about it. But the fact that justice was served, we had to round out goose or goose. But like you said, hey Ed, I feel like I'm on acid in a, a, a violent cocktail of acid and mushrooms right now, so We'll, we'll take shit home. And as I say to my brujama from another Momama between buttholes, super glued, radio tower thefts, balls getting tossed, V-Day cards. Oh, I didn't send you the uh, your V-Day card. Hey, uh, my apologies. As we call it here on the What's Real podcast, not Valentine's Day, but of course, Vagina Day. 
for yes, being it is he- vagina day. heterosexual male. So happy Vagina Day week to you, Aya. And unfortunately, I misplaced the Valentine's Day card. So I apologize. In Fuck. So. God damn it, man. Well, you know what? I'm so angry. Uh, you guys know the drill. That's it for us here this week on episode 195. Listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Leave five stars on iTunes. Email us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Nobody beats the whiz. Clang, clang, clang. Because we're the tag team championship partners of the century or whatever the fuck I call it. I don't even know anymore. But before I get out of here, I hear the J's engine dying. So the J, take it away before you stall. Yeah, I'm revving and sputtering here. But as such, I still got to do my traditions. Hey, Ed, I got to close out Goose or Goose. And we, we were going over goddamn Andrew Keegan. What a goof. Goofs are goofs. Hey, Ed, to round out Goose, Gerg, 195. Love the show. To my producer, our producer, the great producer, the wizard behind the boards himself, Cam. Thank you, Cam, as always, for that consistent, constant, weekly 16K sound. Hey, y'all, my brother, we've done it. Hey, Ed, we've done it again. We have survived the witching hour. We're tripping. The drugs are hitting in. But the What's Real podcast is still going strong. If you're hearing my voice right now, I love you. Spread the word. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that's it for us this week here on episode 195. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 196 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and stay your ass out of Andrew Keegan's fucking cult. And we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real?